podcast Winterfell is presented by the DVR Podcast Network. Check it all out at DVRpodcast.com. And also support the DVR Podcast Network by going to Patreon.com slash DVR. Haven't seen the most recent episode of Game of Thrones? What? Well, if you don't want to be spoiled about that episode, then come back to this podcast after you've watched. Hope you enjoy. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R.R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, Matt Murdock. A screenshot of, of a shadow behind Arya and, and, and somebody saying, It's Serial Pharrell! It's Serial Pharrell! I, I jumped on that bandwagon. I loved it, man. I thought, This is great. This is crazy. It's not Serial Pharrell, but this is great. I'm going to retweet it. This is fantastic. <laughs> Donald. Donald, what about you? Uh, any comments on the House of Black and White stuff with Arya? I think it's, it's more questions than, than anything. I don't think we learned much. And I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out, you know, what, is this just uh, a funeral home? Is that what this place is? <laughs> it seems like they were like doing more, more fishing work. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Clearly you all didn't listen to my two Arya podcasts. Yeah. Hey, hey, Matt, we listened. We just didn't agree. And now, here's your host, Matt Murdock. And Donald. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. Surprise, surprise, it's me, Matt. I just can't stay away, can I? I can't stay away. And we're giving you continued coverage on Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 6, Beyond the Wall, written by the showrunners Dave and Dan, and directed by Alan Taylor. And I am joined by none other than the original pair that we're going to do Podcast Winterfell all summer this summer, but neither of us have time to do it, really. <laughs> uh, I'm joined by Donald at DonaldJR on Twitter. Donald, welcome back, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I think they, in the, the text thread, they call this the podcast that was promised. The podcast that was promised. <laughs> I like that. Speaking of podcast, Winterfell, it is part of the DVR Podcasting Network, and you can find all of the information about that at DVRPodcast.com. You can also support the DVR Podcast Network by becoming a patron on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash DVR. If you have any feedback for the podcast, Axel likes to get a lot of feedback. Tweet at Winterfell Pod, or you can email podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or you can find like and post to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash podcast Winterfell. You can also follow the DVR Podcast Network Twitter at DVR Podcast. And of course, once again, you can find Donald at Donald JR or me at Musical Concepts. Donald, does Jamie Lannister look like a model for the kind of shoes that don't require socks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> does Gendry look like and notice we say Gendry not Gendry does Gendry look like the new pastor at the church that slowly wins over the old people who don't like change oh my god <laughs> uh yes he does I agree. <laughs> yeah let's get, let's get that over with quickly just by saying yes right <laughs> Uh, how, how did you feel about this episode, man? And I, now, as I understand it, did you get to see it before everybody else did? Were you one of the people that managed to catch it? Uh, you were in Spain at the time that it aired or whatever? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was there live. I'd be on the wall. Uh, well, 
I, whenever it leaks, I try to keep up with that stuff so I would know what sites to avoid and, and whatnot and, and who's posting what so I don't get spoiled. Right. And uh, I just saw people saying, man, it's bad, it's bad. People are, are posting GIFs and little videos of the of the dragon is what I assume because that's really the big the big moment in the, in the episode. So other than that, like a um, little animated GIF, I don't know what anything else that would spoil it unless it was the dragon's eye opening. So they were saying it's a major spoiler to stay off of Facebook. So I try to stay off Facebook anyway. Uh, yeah. But then somebody was saying on, on Twitter that they got spoiled. And uh, and so I was like, man, I'm just going to go ahead and watch it. Game of Thrones, the way I reasoned, or I made myself feel not bad about it is, yeah, you know, uh, HBO accidentally released it. So it's not like anyone hacked them. Uh, they, they made the mistake. It was out in full HD, so it wasn't like I wasn't getting the full experience. So I just went on and watched it. And, I, and to be honest, I watched it on my phone the first time. And I, I really liked it. And I watched it two more times that day. And each time I watched it, I found something else that kind of irked me and, and really made me upset. Uh, so I waited a couple of days, watched it again. By that point, I started to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> like I, really, I really was mad. I was, I was foaming. I was steaming. And I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't tell anybody anything. So uh, whenever I watched it live yesterday, it, it just all came out. And I saw people on Twitter – like, a lot of people did like the episode. A lot of people – there was things in the episode to like. I'm not going to say that that's – it was just a bad episode. But the things that I saw people pointing out they were getting frustrated with, those were the same things that I had seen and the same frustrations that I shared. But I also saw a lot of people getting excited for the same things that I got excited for. But I think in the end, just my personal opinion and the way that I weigh things – is the, the inconsistencies and the, the stupidity, the, the plot holes and stuff like that, it, it kind of outweighed the good for me. So I don't know how you feel about it, but that that's my impressions. Well, uh, I watched it live for the first time uh, when it first aired on uh, HBO on Sunday night, uh, the HBO East. And I came, I, I felt like the emotion of it in terms of like the feel, you know, the, the, the fear that you felt for each of the characters and everything, that all felt really genuine to me. And I got caught up in the moment and I really loved it. And then when I thought about the things um, after and watched it a second time, I was not as enthused about the episode. I don't think it's a terrible episode. Um, I'm one of those people, as you know, Donald, that likes to get caught up in the moment and what it means for yeah. the characters more so than how it means, how it got there to mean for the characters. So I, I'm much more reactive in that way. Uh, and so I still like the episode, but I didn't like it as much seeing it the second time as I did the first. Cause I'm just kind of like, well, uh, what, what, why? How did you know one of those things? But there were there were some great epic scenes in this episode as well. Um, how did you like the? Uh, well, let, let's just go through and break through by I guess let's try location because this episode just one thing bleeds into another. But I think we can organize a couple of the things so that we can get them out of the way and and hopefully get to some of the good stuff too. Um, let's just start with Dragonstone and the, the, the whole Tyrion. Uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, I guess we should call her. Don't call me Danny Daenerys now, <laughs> because uh, you know uh, when uh, they're talking about John's mission and about this whole uh, meeting with Cersei and all of this. 
Um, how did you feel about that particular scene and Tyrion trying to direct Danny back to um, a place that might be a little more Westeros friendly? And uh, also this whole thing about talking about, well, you're going to die. Nothing's going to be done by the time you die. Let's let's yeah. let's pick you a successor. Was Tyrion like fishing for him to be the successor? Because I didn't really feel that. But, um, you know, I saw some tweets that people were thinking that. No, that that's not what I thought. Um, I've honestly I've had a hard time understanding Danny and Tyrion's uh, plot arc for this season, and even even sometimes their motivation. So this scene kind of puzzled me for a while, but once I, I thought about it for a little bit, I I feel like the significance of this scene was was more or less showing that Danny was kind of afraid, uh, you know, either afraid to die, afraid to fail, or afraid to see her her so-called vision come you know come into play. And I think that it was about Danny's mortality and and seeing the dragon die at the end. I think that I think it all kind of hit her that. Maybe she isn't as, as badass as she thought she was, or maybe she isn't as prepared as she thought she was. Uh, so I think that a lot of this was was chopping her down a peg, you know, because uh, I, I really don't think she's ready. Everyone, even even us, I think it's a, a great mirror of, of us, the, the fans. Everyone was saying, well, Danny's got dragons. This is how it's going to end. She's going to go and light everything on fire and burn the White Walkers, and that's going to be the end of it. And we pretty much saw that, and it didn't work. Right. She she very well could have lost all three dragons, very easily. That that's that's how unprepared she was. That's how that's how um, unprepared we are, you know, as far as our knowledge of the the White Walkers and uh, especially the Night King, because I did not think that that would be something that he could do that easily, was take out a dragon with a javelin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he's got a heck of an arm. Somebody should sign him up for a baseball team right away or a football team. Yeah, I love that. Or track. Yeah. <laughs> All of the uh, um, the memes with the with him with the Olympic medals around around his neck and stuff like that, <laughs> oh, those were hilarious. <laughs> That's great. That's great. For me, with the whole Danny and Tyrion thing, um, it, to me it was it was a couple of things. Well, let's all remind everybody that now maybe John is on her subconscious mind. Um, and secondly, I, I, you know, after the conversation that Tyrion had with Varys uh, in the prior episode about you need to get her to listen, um, I thought that Tyrion made some really good points about, you know, I am thinking like the enemy because that's how I can know to, to be ready for what they're going to do. Uh-huh. And um, I, I still don't see I, I like your whole point about Danny just uh, being. Uh, fearful, maybe not fearing or not being ready. Do you feel like, and I don't want to skip around too much, but t- by the end of the episode, um, do you feel like because she has gotten cut down a peg that this might give her a, a better perspective and help improve her situation in the long run? I, I feel like what, what needs to improve more than her situation is her, is her mindset because I feel like the, every scene that we've had of her for the last two seasons has been, I'm going to break the wheel, I'm going to break the wheel, uh, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, and then she'll turn around and do exactly that. Or she'll ask for advice, they'll tell her one thing, and she'll, she like gets offended almost, and then she'll go and do whatever she wanted to anyway. And I think especially this season, uh, even in this episode where at the beginning she's so inconsistent where she praises Tyrion, you know, you're not a hero, you don't, you're not stupid like heroes, you don't rush into battle and get yourself killed, uh, that's what I admire about you. And then the very next scene with them too, it's it's 
he tells her to do something and she's like, I've listened to you before. I'm not doing it again. I'm going to be a hero and run off into battle and do exactly what, what she said. Even with the, you know, uh, with the, the last, last episode, uh, or maybe that was, yeah, the last episode when she burned the Tarleys. Well, I, I thought that she didn't really give him a chance. I thought Tyrion was, was right. And, uh, you know, with the mirror of that, John, when Jon Snow does that, you know, he had to execute people before. I feel like it was more of a, a, a tradition and he felt obligated to do it because that's why he was brought up. But with Danny, she's always saying she's going to break the wheel and she's not going to do that. I don't necessarily saw it as a, as a necessity as she said it was. I, I feel like that's something that she just made up on the fly that had to be done, uh, you know, to strike fear and, and basically do everything that she said that she wasn't going to do. She always ends up turning around and doing it. So I feel like losing that dragon, if it doesn't snap her into some kind of reality of, of, of taking a look at herself and not seeing herself as immortal or, or un, unbeatable, then uh, if, if that doesn't work, then that's I blame it on the writing because everything's set up perfectly for that. Yeah, totally agree. Um, as for Tyrion himself, um, I, I mean, I never suspected that he was under any kind of uh, real influence. It looks like he's really trying to make this work so that eventually he can get Cersei out of where she is. But um, has he bought into well maybe not uh i'm sitting here thinking because you know he does urge her later on not to go not to be the hero you told me that you liked me because i'm not a hero and and we're going to be lost totally without you again thinking about that whole long-term thing about what's going to happen after danny is gone because she has taken so many risks he talked about all of the arrows at uh, uh at the blackwater rush but um it was is Tyrion maybe not buying into the whole White Walker show the army plan, even though that it seems like everything is now hinging on this. She was the one hope that really these guys had, and he was trying to tell her not to go. Um, was that a, an, a, an act of selfishness? Or was it was it just self-preservation for her? What do you think? Yeah, I think it was more self-preservation, because I, I, if I recall correctly, it was his plan, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, which, let's face it, is a dumb plan. To start with, I don't. Uh, it's it's a really stupid plan to base the you know, the end of the season on. But let let's not even try to dwell on that negative aspect right now. Let's say it's a great plan. They all believe it's going to work, which Tyrion should should know his sister well enough to know that that that's really stretching. You know, I, I don't I don't see Cersei even even um, going for that. But mm-hmm. uh, let's assume that it does work. I, I feel like. It, it was everything that he said before. Whenever she was riding the dragon on the, uh, the um, at High Garden, she could have died there. When that dragon uh, flipped over, uh, Drogon and flipped over and everything, she was on top of the dragon. Like, <laughs> imagine if she just hit the ground, then what? And like right. He said that's his. He's looking. He's looking more up to the future because he knows the mortality of of man, and he's been through through, through countless wars where people don't have dragons, and he sees how instantly you can die. And it sort of, again, it mirrors the, the show where it, I feel like the show used to have stakes. It used to be somebody's going into battle. You don't know if they're going to come out. If everything was dangerous. And now it's everybody has this plot armor on them because we're down to the main characters and they don't want to kill anybody off right now. So it's almost like these these big epic battles and no one really no one really dies that matters. So it's it's almost like Danny's seeing that. She's It's almost like she's watching the episode. <laughs> said, oh, well, you know what? No one died this season. Yeah, so I can't die. And you know, she's starting to get a little big headed and it's starting to go to her head. And she's starting to see herself as invincible and this big uh, big hero. 
And then another piece of that, which I do believe is is the, the fault of the writers, is that they're forcing this Jon Snow, Danny kind of a shipper on us. And I don't think I don't think that's earned just yet. I don't think they had enough scenes together. I don't think that the scenes that they had together were meaningful in that type of way. Because every scene that they had together was was John asking for something. Can I can you help me with this? Can you bend the and then can you bend the knee? And he's like, Oh, we need this, we gotta save people. Yeah, uh, can you bend the knee? And that's back and forth, back and forth. So I don't see how a bunch of scenes of that would lead them to, you know, be in this, you know, kind of relationship or, or even have those types of feelings for each other other than other than just your basic human, oh, I think you're pretty and I want to hold your hand. I think you're pretty. I want to hold your hand. And, <laughs> well, okay, you did uh, save uh, – you did uh, keep me from losing a second dragon by doing showing that act of bravery. <laughs> um, that, that was the only payoff for the end. We'll talk more about that then. Yeah. Um, let's go uh, – I, I want to save all of the stuff beyond the wall for last, I think. Let's, let's go to Winterfell. Oh, and and what the heck is going on here? <laughs> because you and I both love Arya. We've loved Arya from the very beginning. We've been very invested in her in the books and in the show. Uh-huh. Um, and every time that I want to give Arya a break, uh, I, I find myself just going, what the heck is going on? It almost seems too over the top. Like, yeah. And I, I pointed this out in one of my posts on my blog this week, this last week. It, it just seems so over the top. That it's it's like it's being done as theater, uh, and I don't know what purpose that would serve. Um, I don't really have any major theory about it that nobody else has about it, except that you know Ari and Sansa might be working together in order to try and and bring Littlefinger out. But so many of these scenes now are seemingly in private. Maybe they're assuming that there are spies around, even if that were the case, but it just, they're so hurtful. Arya is just being cruel to Sansa and Sansa's returning the favor. I'm going to admit it. You know, Sansa's like, well, you should, you should be kneeling to me for bringing the veil up here to save Winterfell in the first place. You know, that was a little, uh, it's like they're in a pissing contest and I don't like that at all. All right. We both, we both read the books. You probably way, you know, retain more of the knowledge uh, from the books and the, and the writing, as, as I as I do, you probably retain a lot more because it's been a while since I've read them. When I haven't done nearly as many book podcasts as you have, but the show has never been subtle in the way that the books are. Whenever there's a twist coming, you can always read it usually, or, or you can go back and say, "Wow, that was really in my face." You know, they're not they're not subtle. Think about it. And like you said, it's so over the top, ridiculous that I can't even take it as serious. You know, I. I I think that they're either they're trying so hard to trick us into thinking one way that they're overdoing it, or it's like you said, it's theater and they're just doing it for show to, to trick Littlefinger, which if that is the case, it's ridiculously over the top. And I, you don't even need to go that far. You can just confront him and say, look, I know what you're trying to do. You know, I'll either kill you or you can just stop. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see what doing this big production and, and, and hating each other and fighting for, so long he's doing so i'm gonna be negative big surprise <laughs> i feel like i feel like it's just bad writing and it's just we don't have anything for these characters to do uh we all, so we're just gonna throw Arya in winterfell oh wait they're now in winterfell we can't have happiness so let's manufacture some conflict and to me it's the same thing that they did with sansa and john where the characters are intentionally not talking to each other not saying the things that normal characters would say 
in order to keep the conflict going so they can resolve in a big finale. Yeah, you know, I, I can't say I disagree with you there. It, it, it's, it's something, it's got to be leading to something in this last episode, some kind of tipping point. The thing is that, that scares me is I don't know which tipping point it is because if it is yeah. something that's to, to, you know, I loved little, uh, I loved Arya's talk about, you know, when she was little that Ned, you know, watched her all that time practicing with the arrow and, and the whole line about, you know, that it wasn't that she was wrong, but that the rules were wrong because Ned approved. I mean, I thought that was really nice. Mm-hmm. And I did think that both of them had really good points about this. Let's face it, Arya, here's, here's the thing for me, and this is why it became so over the top for me, is like, I still think that Arya is pretty darn smart, that she's not being duped by Littlefinger that much. But the second that Rob read that exact same scroll, he knew it was a farce, right? Back in season one, he read it and he knew it was a farce. So why wouldn't Arya think the same thing? Yeah, like I said, it's characters not behaving as characters, but behaving as the plot needs them to. And And to me, it's a little bit frustrating, although... If this had all happened in one episode, uh, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot better because I, I feel like, like you said, they both had good points. I like the fact that Arya doesn't trust Sansa. I like the fact that Sansa is kind of weirded out by finding out that Arya may be a killer or this weird, faceless person. I like that because guess what? They don't know each other. They knew each other a long time ago growing up, but for the last six years, in their most like formidable years where they changed the most, they weren't near each other at all. They don't know what each other has become. That's fine for them not to trust each other. But the fact that they aren't sitting down and talking it out, the same as the, uh, as John and, and Sansa wouldn't talk it out when they obviously have plenty of chances to. They've been there for months now. Mm-hmm. If we're to assume that the time travel crap, which that's a whole other thing, if we're to assume that people can move around continents and, and it's happening in real time, uh, then they've been there for months. Even though Sansa said weeks, that's a whole other story, but they've been there long enough to the point where they can sit down and talk it out, but they aren't doing that intentionally, and it's kind of unrealistic, and it's stretched out so far to the point where would you really continue having these little fights over uh, over and over and then walking away and then showing a dagger, walk away for weeks and weeks on, on end and not doing anything about it? Like, I don't buy that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And let's face it, I, I walk into a room... And I find out that my little sister has a bunch of faces. <laughs> you know, I'm freaking out. I'm putting her in a cell, man. I'm like, I'm like, there was something that was interesting in that conversation. Arya acted like she said something to the effect that the faces allow my voice to change and all of this stuff. So there's got to be some kind of magic involved in it, I guess. I just never really yeah. thought about it uh, as a book reader. I always kind of wondered how you did that because I thought the whole point was to become a good actor too. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe that there's something magical about that. I found that a little fascinating. But then for Arya to do this whole bit where it's like, I could even become you and, and, and just get really creepy with Sansa. It's like, not creepy enough that she just found a whole bunch of faces in your bag there, <laughs> you know? And, and, then, and then, then she just flips the knife over uh, and, 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 and hands it to Sansa. Um, was that a, just like a total diss? Like, I don't, I wouldn't even need this to do what I would do to you? Or, or was it a... a some kind of sign to say, I trust you that you won't stab me in the back. I don't know. No, I think, I think it was totally, uh, um, 
it's a uh, uh, I can't I can't uh, actually I can think of the the term uh, a sign of, of or you know how when there's there's animals in the in the animal kingdom and and they'll do something to kind of show hey this is what I got what do you got I, I think that was the total thing of I'm gonna give you this because I don't fear you it's not it's nothing you could do with that that I that would hurt me mm-hmm. you know I, you know you're no threat to me pretty much so she's kind of boasting and bragging. Uh, as, as if to, to say that, you know, I'm so much above you. You may have gone through your little crap, but guess what? I've been through my crap too, so I'm better than you. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it's, for me, it's heartbreaking because uh, in a lot of ways, I, I wanted these two, I know that they're very different, but I, I wanted them to find a way to accept each other. But, yeah. and, and, like I said, if if they are just playing this up for Littlefinger, well, he obviously thinks he's winning. Look at what he accomplished in this episode alone. He got Sansa to confront or to con, uh, I guess to confide in him that that you know that she fears Arya. He got a chance to play on those fears. Not only that, but I, it, it almost seems to me like Sansa sending Brienne to. Uh, King's Landing in her place. Well, I think that was kind of smart. I, if I was Sansa, I wouldn't want to go to King's Landing in Cersei's presence either. But it almost felt like she was just sending Brienne away because Littlefinger had put that idea in her head that that Brienne would be subject to protecting either of them. And if Sansa goes rifling through Arya's room looking for that scroll then, you know, Brienne might take up for Arya in that place, which would ruin her too. So send Brienne down to King's Landing to do that business, which I guess is the same council thing that they're all planning on having with John and Daenerys. I don't know why else uh, anybody would be sent to do that unless she wants Sansa to come bend the knee, um, which Sansa can't really do since John's still technically king of the north. Anyway, I'm rambling, but my, my point is, is why send, why send Brienne away if you're fearing Arya that much? Because the writers need Brienne to be in King's Landing so they can do some shippy stuff with Jamie. That's the only reason I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason. We got all this money for the budget, but it's only, we can only do it in seven episodes. Oh, what do we do with the story now? Um, all right. Like I, I don't understand why what Cersei wanted with, with Sansa anyway, unless she, uh, you know it seems like a, a straight up trap. But we haven't seen enough of, of Cersei to know what's going on right now. So yeah, uh, there was there were some people that were saying on Twitter that that maybe Sansa faked that letter, you know, just to get Brienne get rid of Brienne. But either way, I don't see I don't see how that does anything. Yeah. Other other than uh, get Brienne and Jamie back together, you're absolutely right. That's that's what it's about. Um, anything else on the Winterfell stuff? Uh, I, I'm predicting that we we're going to see Littlefinger, uh, either die or that he's already dead and, um, we won't know it and we'll see him talking and then like something will happen and then Arya will peel off the face and it'll be her. Oh, you and Axel, man, you guys are just like, uh, yeah, we both, we both like that theory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, you know, I, I, I have no prediction to make. I'm just sitting here biting my nails going, what the heck's going to happen next? Um, you know, unless I, I, I have a, do have a crazy, crazy speculation that they're, they're working together to trap Littlefinger, but I, there's no nary evidence of it in this episode anyway, except for the fact that it is just so over the top. 
but uh, good prediction, good prediction. Folks, if you uh, have your own predictions, send them to podcastwinterfell at gmail.com uh, before this week is over. And let's go to the good stuff. Well, at least some of it was the good stuff, and that's the stuff beyond the wall. I really like the fact that they took the time to set up all of this, to have all of this banner stuff. I mean, I love the fact that Tormund and John, when uh, when talking about there, there wasn't a woman wildling within 100 miles, and Tormund said, well, you got to make do with what you want. Both of them were pulling the wool over Gendry's eyes just to, just to get him to laugh, and he didn't get it. <laughs> and that's why Tormund said he's not very smart. Uh, I love that, man. Uh, Tormund was a, a bright, shining star once again in this episode, just like he was last episode as far as the humor goes. Um, do you think, though, that his talking to John about Mance Raider, do you think that's why John said uh, at the end of the episode that he would accept Daenerys as his queen? Uh, it, did, it did kind of set that up. I gave him a reason to. Honestly, I don't see why they, they either one of them made such a big deal about it, honestly. Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand. Like, even there was nothing that John could offer Daenerys, but Daenerys had some things that John needed. So I was thinking right from the start that he would just bend the knee in exchange to, you know, for her help in defeating this big threat. Because from the moment we've seen John uh, this season, whenever him and Daenerys met, she was always saying, hey, come praise me, do this, bend the knee, uh, you know. Give me your army, give me your people, give me your, your, your time. And all he said was, let's save the world, let's save the world, let's save the world. So to me, it, it wouldn't seem that he would care that much. Uh, you know, he should just, I don't know why he put up a big stink in the first place. And then when he wouldn't do it, that seemed to be all that she cared about. And to me, that was kind of inconsistent too, because even even when she burned the Tarleys, she didn't give them nearly as much of a you know chance to kind of plead their case or come around as she did for John. So I don't I don't understand what her thinking was with that, but I guess it was just a quick way to to move the plot. I mean, like you said, they for some reason they cut off three episodes this season. I have no idea why. I know they're not short on money. This is the the, the best show on TV, um, as far as ratings and how many people watch it, how much money they're making off of it, and stuff like that. So I don't know. The only thing I could think of was it's a quick way to to get get to where they need to be to make things more interesting whenever they reveal. Uh, John's true lineage. Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, as far as uh, some of the other banter stuff goes, um, how about uh, the the fact that that Gendry and Thoros and Beric kind of worked it out uh, with the Hound being the shusher? No more whinging. <laughs> I, I like that. Honestly, you know, I, on the first watch. I loved all of the interactions that, that everyone was having on the, on that walk. On the second watch, I started to notice, hey, they're just kind of pairing up and they're, and they're saying stuff. And then one person will stop walking and then the other person will turn around and then they'll say something and then they'll start walking again. And then two more people will pair up and they'll do the exact same thing. Then two more people will pair up and they'll do the exact same thing every time. And I was like, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> But they're saying they're saying cool stuff. They're saying stuff that I want to hear, and I started to think, man, it's, it's starting to feel a little bit like fan fiction. Like it's not, it's almost not real. And it may not be the the, the fault of the writers this time. It may be as well, but I, I don't think it's necessarily one hundred percent the fault of the writers. I also I think it's because we went so long with these characters apart that we started to get accustomed to that's how the show is. 
So when when everybody has to converge and come together and, and, and be in these situations, it almost feels fake, you know, and that, that may just be just the fault of how the story was was set up. Yeah. You know, it may it may turn out to be the same way in the books, but it's just to me, it just seems it just seems so fake at, at times. But everybody was saying cool stuff. And I like the interactions. I like Tormund and the Hound. I, I thought they were awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm really liking Beric. I don't know about you, but I, I'm. I like Beric a lot, and it's not really a character that, that's that's been that fleshed out in the show, and then even in the books. I, um, well, we may, may not want to talk about that. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, there is there is a book storyline for Beric and Thoros that obviously isn't going to happen now, but uh, I I don't know uh, I don't know how extensive we should be because there still could be. Something with Beric that uh, that happens to where he he becomes important in a similar way, just with somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah, it's still possible. So that's why I won't bring it up, right? Um, but uh, but I like I do I like Beric as well. Um, he's he's become a character that um, uh, while I didn't expect him to be quite as as blind faith, you know, he's just kind of like, well, I've been brought back six times, so it must be for some reason. Uh, him and John did kind of work out that the fact that they're both soldiers, um, yeah. and have, and what a strange place for those two guys to be in, to have that in common of nothing, you know, if nothing else, just, it's like, well, we've been brought back from the dead, <laughs> you know, we both know there's nothing out there but darkness and we've been brought back from the dead and, and maybe yeah. our whole reason is just to be here to, to, to save the rest of the people who can't save themselves. It, it's a noble thought, and it was a great kind of bonding moment that I didn't expect the two of them to have. Um, what about the John and Jorah stuff, though? Because John's John's kind of like, "Hey, man, uh, I, I got I got daddy your daddy's sword. You want it, you want it back?" And, and and just kind of kind of handing it over, and and Jorah being like, "No, no, no, man, I don't deserve that sword. Nah, we've look look, you've got that you've got that." dragon glass dagger hanging on the side of your sword too. And I've got a couple of those things and we're, we're all going to be fine. We're just going to kill things and, and whatever. Um, I almost felt like that this was a way for Jorah and, and, and just pardon my fanficing here, but this is, this was a way for Jorah and John both to show acceptance of each other in regards to their feelings towards Daenerys as well. It was almost kind of like, and and I know that didn't have anything to do with what they said in their conversation. It was all about old bear Jor Jor Mormont, but it, it just felt like it was felt like. Well, that's nice. Now that they now they can probably work together and and not be worried about who's in bed with her right now. Yeah, it's sort of a let, let's let's pin this off to the side while we take care of this, and then maybe we can discuss it later. How obviously Danny would never choose Jorah over John. <laughs> it's probably open that he would die in that battle so Jorah would have a chance but. oh that's the whole reason she came she didn't come there to save John she came there to save Jorah she came there to save old friends oh man old Uncle Jorah <laughs> no I, I did I'll tell you what even though I thought it was not the best idea for John to try and give away that Valyrian steel sword I felt I felt like it was something that an honorable person would at least offer mm-hmm so I didn't I didn't mind that at all. I didn't either because uh, we saw Brienne do the same thing with Jamie last season at River Run. 
Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that that old and old uh, that theme, the the honor theme from the old gods and the new, was the music that played when Jorah, when John offered the sword to Jorah and Jorah gave it back. I thought, well, that's perfect. That's that's the exact same kind of thing that we saw Brienne do, and I, I thought that that was cool. Yeah. Um. So what else? What else we got on this? Uh, is it polar bear time? Now that that was a cool scene. Yeah. I have no complaints with that. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah. I, I, I guess I should have suspected that Thoros would be the one to go. I, I love the fact that he, uh, you know, we replayed all of that fire fear that that the Hound has when that a flaming bear. <laughs> Polar bear is sitting there, uh, coming at him, and and uh, Thoros saves the hound from that. Um, there were so many times in this episode up in the north where I couldn't tell who was getting hurt, and I think maybe that was part of the the idea to create even more tension with the mm-hmm. audience. Is just like you know, well, who's that getting thrashed around? Who's that? <laughs> who's that falling into the pit of the White Walkers? You know, uh, it, it just uh, it it made things that much more tense, and I did fear for everybody. Um, I guess I should have let my conventions about the fact that when you look at it on the, on the backside of it, looking back at it, you're like, oh yeah, well, they weren't going to kill any of those main characters, but you know, like even when Gendry was taken off running, um, it was one of those things where it's like, oh gosh, is Gendry even going to make it out of here? You know? So, uh, anyway, I, I love the polar bear scene. Um, and then we get to the, where they, they finally scout out some, some white walkers and uh, or, and some whites. And um, I do recall that, and, and I can't remember exactly what episode it was, but there was one episode, and I think it was this season, where either John or Sam said something about the fact that the dragonglass could kill whites. And that's not a book thing. The, the dragonglass cannot kill whites in the books. Am I right about that? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I was under the assumption it was just fire or, you know, Literally dismantling them piece by piece. Yeah, Um, but in this case, uh, having a little bit of dragon glass with you seems to have have been enough to save you against three billion whites. (laughs) Um, But the the scene with John and and the White Walker that was pretty cool, Uh, and the fact that all of the other ones crumbled. But why didn't the the one crumble? (laughs) There's my matched tomato. Because the plot needed it not to. That's why. Um, I did like the idea that, that that's what makes them crumble, you know, whoever made them. So I just assumed that that one just happened to be not made by that one White Walker, even though why was he hanging out? Maybe he just had friends. I don't know. Yeah. But I, one thing I, wasn't, thing I wasn't too happy about was how easily John took out that White Walker. Because the other times we've seen it, it was, those things are strong and, you know, they're formidable. But he just kind of took him out fairly easy. Uh, it it was the fact that Javadi didn't have enough music to score, so he cut a couple of shots out, and uh, I just had him just go in for the waist shot, and that was it. Yeah, uh, no, but uh, so they end up with this White Walker, or, or pardon me, with this White um, that uh, manages to scream and alert all of the rest of the forces, and manages to get them. Um, to this lake, they have to. They're running, and they have to get to this lake. And they they manage to get across before the, all of the weight of the other whites starts to break the ice. It was interesting, oh. though. The one uh, 
the one person that was with their party they got caught up to, um, he fell through first and, and then everything just kind of started collapsing around that. Um, that was a great shot though. I love that shot. Yeah. One thing I have no complaints about the aesthetics of this episode, the, the CGI was brilliant. The, the color palette, everything just looked amazing. So whenever that happened, I was like, Oh crap, what's going on? Are everybody going to, is the whole army going to fall in there? But they seem to be pretty smart about it. And they knew, Hey, we're going to have to stop. Even, even though they're probably being controlled to some extent from the, the, um, the white walkers. But yeah, when they started to, even when they started to flank around them and, and surround them in that circle, yeah, I was like, oh man, that was, and when John was running and you could see them coming up on the sides, I was like, oh man, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. That was a very fearful moment. I love what you just brought up though, about how the fact that they're being controlled, maybe that one that they had was not being controlled by that particular walker. That's why they fell apart. Yeah, that, that could be it. Yeah, great. Um, but yeah, that was a really seriously scary moment. And, and I, I, yeah, seeing him come up around the side and I just kept waiting for him to, to close in. But when that started happening, they just started making a perimeter all the way around him. Um, and John had sent Gendry off running. And I was worried that Gendry was going to get, uh, you know, divide and conquer kind of thing that, that he was going to get it. Um, but he made it to the wall. What a runner he is. He needs some, he needs some track medals <laughs> as well. That was, that was a little bit ridiculous. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it took him so long to walk there. And then the fact that it just ran back in like two seconds. Is, I know they've been playing fast and loose with the whole time thing and the, and the distance, but sometimes it's, you have to, you have to show that there's some kind of rules that you set for yourself, yeah. you know, to make it, make it a little bit more believable. I agree. Uh, there were some changes in in the light. I guess they'd spend an overnight, and then, then of course, we have to pour one out for Thoros of Mir. Um, <laughs> they talked like he froze to death. I would have thought that probably it was more like internal bleeding, because wouldn't the rest of them have froze to death, too? Uh, what I gather was it was a little bit of a combination of both. Okay. That was that was the only way I could, I could justify it, because even the Hound said it was, it was the best way to go, and I'm pretty sure bleeding to death isn't necessarily the best way to go so yeah yeah he was he was probably already weakened because of, of the wounds and then that that just made him more susceptible to exposure yes yeah. yeah that's that's fair enough that's fair enough uh, another matt's tomato squash that's good <laughs> um there was so much of that that was just so tense though where there and nothing is really happening that's one of the things that I really liked about this particular episode was how the tension remained even when something wasn't really happening. And it was heartbreaking for me to see uh, Barrick have to, to light up Thoros and, and go give him away um, or, or, or burn him away. But um, naturally, it had to be done. John knew what had to be done. And that was that was terrible for me. I, I Thoros was never a major character in this show, but um, he was always a really enjoyable character for me. So I, I, I felt bad for it. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the bigger implications is like even what they, what they said is that Priest isn't there to bring him back again. So now he's on his last life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when Beric, uh, when Beric goes this time, that's it. So, um, the, well, there's, I mean, I, we have to assume that it, it's possible for any of uh, any of them, right? Because if Melisandre's gone back to Volantis, is that where she said she was going? 
Now Theros is gone. I don't know if there's any other red priests in Westeros that could help them. Yeah. But we still don't, I mean, we still don't know if that's uh, just a certain thing for uh, per person. Can she just bring anybody back? Or is it just Beric and John that were chosen for that? So That's true. That's true. That That's another thing that's kind of bothering me. I, mean, I feel like in the books it'll probably be a little more fleshed out, but we don't seem to have a real reason why John brought back. You know, what, what significance, you know, what changed? You know, what, what was the significance of, of bringing him back? What made him special? We still don't really know that yet. Right. Yeah, other than Melisandre just calling him the prince that was promised, and that's about all that we know. And who knows what that means? Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's one of those weird things because you've got you've got another potential Azor High running around in Beric Dondarrion. He's even doing the flaming sword thing, which I can't figure out how he makes that work. But oh well, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, it's just Westeros, man. The magic has a plan. The sword lights up when it needs to. <laughs> Him and Thoros both. Um, what what else about uh, anything right up until the, the the this final, you know, the rock the rock that the Hound threw. I mean, I saw I saw a, a Facebook <laughs> post or something that says, you know, uh, Thoros of Mir dies. Well, that wasn't it. Um, it was like uh, a dragon dies, John nearly dies, and all this stuff, all because you know the Hound can't stop acting like a ten year old. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I understand why that scene happened because they they needed to a reason for them to show that, that, that the, it was frozen over so they could attack. I just don't understand why the hound did that. Like what, it was very childish. So I, I still don't understand. Like why, what was he doing? Going to throw rocks until maybe he was just bored. I don't know. Uh, I, I, well, I mean, all you can do is sit there, right? And you're, you're freezing to death. You're probably starving to death pretty soon. Uh, might as well get a couple pot shots in while you can, yeah. I guess is what he was thinking. Uh, but I really, I, you know, when everybody started coming, I felt like it was a little convenient for the way that they could hold them, hold them off somewhat and, and, and not the whole mass. I guess the whole masses were still holding back a little bit because, you know, they were worried that it might re crash through or the ice might re crash through or whatever. Oh. I really, really feared for for uh, Tormund. He was uh, when that happened. I thought, oh no, this is the this is the major character death, which isn't still isn't a major character, but one of my most favorite characters. This is the one that we're going to lose. Yeah, and uh, he managed to get out of it thanks to the Hound. So that was good for the Hound and the and Tormund, especially with their beginning conversation, like we talked about earlier. How much we enjoyed that for them to, to have a real battle bond now. That was cool. Yeah, I, I really liked Tormund, so I was actually a little bit worried, but then they came in and saved him um, with the plot armor, or whatever you want to call it. But one thing I was realizing when that happened, and, and what you just said about, you know, Beric and, and John and the similarities, John has been in a lot of the big, major battles on this show, probably more than anyone else. If you really think about it. Yeah, he was at the Wall. He was at, of course, the Battle of the Bastards. Um, Hard home. And then this Hard home and this one, yeah. So like those are like big epic, you know, episode nine type battles, and he was a big part of every one of them. Yeah, he's the guy. He's the guy that that causes the storm. 
<laughs> everything everything goes big around him, right? <laughs> um, which means that he'll never die, Adam, probably. <laughs> well, he did already. Well, that's true. He already did die. But that was just a bunch of thugs. You know, he just got mugged that night. That, that That's pretty pathetic. I survived the Battle of the Wall. I survived Hard Home. And a couple of and thugs come they, and just stab me in the back. Maybe that's why he was brought back, because Melisandre was like, oh, I just can't let that be your story. <laughs> was, was there anybody that you really, really feared for during the battle, uh, more so than Tormund? Uh, not really. Yeah. After a, after after Thoros got you know thrown around like a rag doll, and I saw he was okay, I was like, okay, I don't I, I don't think anybody's gonna die. Mm. Yeah, um, I was a little surprised that just uh you know doing a little bit of that uh, cauter what do they call that catheterization cauterization? Oh yeah, with um, the flaming sword. Yeah, uh, I was surprised that that was enough for him to to, to be able to just get right up right away and and walk. <laughs> A little bit of help and a little bit of rum. You're always going to have a little bit of rum. But uh, yeah, that uh, when Danny came in and started just tearing him up, like we all suspected that that might happen. Um, you know, it, it was great to see uh, all of all of that happen. I mean, it was epic shots. I loved the action of it. I was fist pumping. I was having fun with it. Um, and then uh, Night King uh, becomes a world champion javelin thrower. <laughs> and um, I, I love that, though, because, you know, there's so much magic involved with, with this race that um, he's the only one that you could imagine doing that. I mean, he was obviously generating a heck of a lot more force than, than Kyburn Scorpion yeah. uh, with his throw. And, and, and that, that magic is powerful. And if it, he's got the magic powerful enough to raise a dead, to raise a dragon, and he's got the, this kind of an arm, um, everything is now equalized or maybe even favoring the Night's uh, the, the White Walker side, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, I, got, I, I figured, um, we know from the books that the White Walkers they have the, the talent to make, make these um, weapons from ice, these super strong weapons. That can break, you know, the regular steel, and we've even seen that um, last year when the, when they attacked. That you know, you, if you try to fight them with a regular sword, it'll just shatter your sword. Yep. So uh, the the fact that that he had that big ice javelin, I when when I saw him pick it up, I was like, yeah, this, this is probably going to take one up. Are we pouring one out for Viserion or not? <laughs> because now he's uh, now he's now he's an enemy. Should we just say, well? Yeah, now we got to fight you. That's even more heartbreaking about it. Is now that Danny is going to have to fight one of her own children, I guess. Yeah, that was crazy. I I almost got the the feeling. I don't know if I don't know if uh, Amelia Clark was just having a bad acting day, but I almost got the feeling that she cared more about John than the dragon because I didn't really see that much emotion. It was more shock to me. Yeah, yeah, there was there was definitely shock. I didn't I didn't see her. You know, uh, getting upset in the moment. Um, I felt that she felt that it was kind of coming to her. It was hitting her when she was with John in the boat. Mm. Um, but there's stuff that happens between that, where you know, old Night King's trying to get this, uh, trying to get Drogon too, and and John 
waves her off, says, get the heck out of here, sacrifices himself, seemingly, um, goes down underwater with some of those, uh, some of those whites that got him from the side, finally got him from the side. <laughs> They've been trying to get him from the side all episode. Um, were you, were you okay with that? Were you okay with John surviving in that way? Uh, was this just another, uh, book five Tyrion sinking <laughs> into the water, uh, Jamie sinking into the water. It seems to be a theme with this show. It's George's favorite, uh, fake death in the books as well. Yeah. I, my problem was that it was a, a, a nearly frozen lake. I don't know if he would have necessarily been able to climb out and just been okay, but that there's such some things you guys gotta let go with Jon Snow. Cause we, we realized probably him and, and Daenerys would, probably be on there until the last episode so yeah but the thing is to me it's like if you're writing and you know that there's certain characters that you have safe just you don't have to put them in that kind of peril you know why have that fake out of him going under i don't know it just it just seemed unneeded he could have just been fighting and then you know got away or something i don't know because you're going to have benjamin come and rescue him anyway at the last possible second yeah <laughs> that was a bit convenient for me, um, but I loved it. I loved it f- for its epicness. But um, it, it, we got to pour one out for Benjin too. Uh, it seems that uh, his his run is over. His his half dead run is finally over. He probably was looking forward to that actually. Um, but I, I, I just it parts of it to me just felt um, just a little too convenient. Uh, once I thought about it again. I'll say again, the first time that I watched this, I was so caught up in the moment of it. I didn't care about any of that. Me too. I really didn't. You know, I, it just it just hit me like just punch after punch after punch, and I just loved it. But it's when you watch it the second time and you actually think about it that you just kind of go, uh-huh. I wish they could have done that differently. Yeah. Like I said, the first time I watched it, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. But it, it, the more you – it's the same thing with every episode this season to me. It's a lot of surface, but when you start to peel away, you have time to think about it. And you're like, man, they're really taking some lazy, you know, plot shortcuts to get to where they need to be in a, in a show where when something happened, it always seemed earned. Going back to the Red Wedding or, or Ned Stark, you know, I felt like we spent seasons with Ned Stark, even though it was only, what was it, eight, nine episodes? Right. You know, they've... they've, they've They've shown in the past that they can do that. They can take a limited run of episodes, a limited amount of time, and still make you care. But it seems to have just like they're replacing a lot of that time that, that we took with the characters and letting the scenes breathe. And they're replacing a lot of it with just dragons, honestly. That's how it comes off to me. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, to be perfectly honest. And, and that folks don't don't think that we're going to quit the show or anything. Uh, you know, it's just that uh, Game of Thrones over five, even six seasons has developed such a great reputation of, like Donald said, earned, uh, earning what happens to these characters uh, rather than just having things happen to these characters um, that um, it just, it feels like that they, they just want to get it done and get out of George's way so he can tell his story is what it feels like to me. Yeah, and there, there's a couple of, of, you know, theories that I have of, as to why. Uh, mostly, I think that Dave and Dan are just kind of tired and they're burnt out. That's why they ask for less episodes. And they, they, I know for a fact they have plenty of money. If they want to ask for twelve episodes, they get it. So I, right. I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, cutting it to seven and then possibly six next year. Right. Uh, I didn't understand that. 
I think they just probably just burnt out. And then also, uh, some of the best seasons of the show, they had the books there as guidelines, like full books. And now I think they just have bullet points. So well, what it seems like we're getting now is Game of Thrones cliff notes. That's that's how I feel. Mm. Um, I personally don't mind like the passage of time thing or anything like that, but I do feel like it, it, it's just kind of like now it's kind of like they're, I've always felt like that. Well, I felt like in season six, they had specific bullet points from George, right? And, and they could find a way to work them, uh, work towards those bullet points. But now it just feels like that they don't have um, <laughs> the time to, to, you know, they might still have some bullet points, but they don't have time to, to get anywhere with them, right? And as far as the, the seven episodes and the six episodes, I actually in the beginning felt blessed because I felt like they were only going to do seven seasons total, which would have only been 70 episodes total. And instead now we're getting 73 episodes uh, total. But... Um, I just kind of wish that if, like, when they take the time with the Arya and the Sansa stuff, um, make it mean something to me. And maybe it will, you know. I, I mean, we're still sitting on the back side, or on the front side of whatever this is turning out to be. And that, that may end up being great, you know. Uh, Littlefinger may pull his face off and it may be Arya or... Um, <laughs> Littlefinger may come storming into a room and, and Arya and Sansa both have knives and stab him. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, whatever it turns out to be, I hope it, it pays off the time that they give them as opposed to the thinking about how you can just make plot happen rather than um, setting it up to feel like it should happen, right? I, I agree. And, and, and even um, one of the first times I had this feeling was the Jamie and Tyrion reunion. That should have been a big deal, but it's, it felt like it was so rushed. Hmm. And I, I felt like that's, that scene should have had more time to breathe. You know, that that's a big deal. We haven't seen them together in a while. But it was just, oh, the last time I saw you, I said I cut you in half. And it's like, oh, okay, tell Cersei this. And then it was just done. And I was like, was that it? Yeah, that... that now... I have to admit that uh, when they first saw each other, I mean, I did feel emotion with that particular scene, but um, you're right. It would have been better off if we'd have figured out that they, they, they either did work all of their shit out or they decided not to work all of their shit out. You know, it, it's one of those things where I feel like um, there wasn't enough time spent to where Tyrion can go back to Danny and say, oh, pardon me. Daenerys, don't say Danny, Matt. <laughs> Tyrion can go back to Daenerys and and say, you know, I honestly feel like Jamie will help us here, you know, and, or that Jamie can go to Cersei. Well, I honestly believe that Tyrion's intentions are are real here. We know that Cersei is. I mean, from the moment that Jamie brought the whole thing up, and she already knew about it, she's plotting some way to to create some kind of trap. Or, or at least some kind of, of uh, linchpin that will keep her in place as long as possible. Um, she even mentioned that to Jamie in last week's episode. So it just feels like um, that scene, we needed to get the all of the emotion out on the table between those two brothers before we can trust what either of them are saying past that scene, right? Yeah. That makes sense, and... and- I assume that they're headed to King's Landing now with that white, so we may get a, a, a longer scene with them next week. I hope so. I hope so. 
What else about this episode, Donald? What did I miss? What do you want to talk about? Uh, just, just the implications now that we have a, uh, a dragon. I guess he lost a lot of his army, but it seems like a pretty fair trade. Uh, do you think that that was his whole plan? Because he seemed a lot of people are saying he seemed prepared. He had those javelins, uh, the chains that seemed to come out of nowhere. He had those already. So um, my theory has always been that that the Night King is a is a green seer as well, because he was created by the children. So it's, I mean, it's a reasonable assumption that he has some of their powers. Yeah. I think that that's uh, a perfectly good explanation. I, I've seen a lot of things on Twitter about uh, Bran wearing the same clothes as the Night King, and I'm like, yeah. all the White Walkers wear that kind of garb, <laughs> you know. But uh, on the other hand, um, if he has, and that's why it's great that you bring that up. Now that I think about it, um, the whole reason that he could see Bran when Bran was doing his visions thing in the tree is because he is also a Green Seer. Makes perfect sense. Even when Bran was walking into the different different ravens you know the um, night king suddenly looks up and then they all disperse yep so there, there's definitely something there which i feel like would give him more character because as of now i think there's a big problem with with having this huge enemy that honestly haven't even said a word in seven years the real problem with that is that you can get into the black and white you know good and versus evil and that can be kind of boring and if you don't know the motivations behind the your enemy and you can't have that conflict where you can almost sympathize with them, which I think is another strong point that has always been good with Game of Thrones is that a lot of times there'll be a battle going on and you don't really know which side to root for because you, you kind of follow both characters. They're, they're sort of playing in between that good and evil on, on both sides. So you don't really know who to root for and it leaves you conflicted and it just adds to the enjoyment. But with the White Walkers, right now all we really have is, oh man, they look so cool. You know, there's really nothing else to go on. We don't know why they're doing what they're doing. We can we can guess. Maybe they're just mad, you know, because they got turned into whatever they are. But other than that, like, you know, what is what are their ultimate plans? What are, what are they hoping to do? Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Um, I know that uh, uh, a lot of people out there, myself included, one, you know, there was a little bit, at, at least as far as their origin story goes, there's a little bit of sympathy you can have for the white walkers, but it doesn't do anything to explain their motivation now, unless it's just that the children of the forest just made these as war machines and they're just out of control. And that doesn't seem very fun. Yeah. You might as well be fighting robots for, you know, for all that. But yeah, I just, I want to know a little bit more about them. Maybe, um, I don't think that this is the same Knights King from the, from the books, but even that, that character, whether that, that story is just true or not, that's a really, you know, detailed and, 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 you know, um, kind of great backstory for behind, yeah. you know, and it made him feel almost a little bit more uh, human, I guess, in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. But when I, when I look at these guys, I, I don't see humanity. I just I just see a monster. Yeah. Totally agreed, man. Maybe they'll fix that if we do some uh, more whinging about it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess we could probably wrap it up in a bit, but I did have a question now. Do you think that he's going to use that dragon to fly over the wall? Ooh, interesting. Because we still have the problem of, you know, they've been marching for, what, four years now? And they and we still have the problem of how they're going to get past the wall. And that wasn't addressed in this episode at all. That's true. That's true. And let's assume, just for the sake of my not-bold prediction, 
that Brand's mark will disable the wall magic enough for them to use that in that way. Because I still feel like that there's like some kind of barrier around the wall, the magic barrier mm-hmm. around the wall. That that's why Bingen said he could never go that far. But now that Brand's on the other side, will this allow them to pass with all of that stuff on the other side? Hey, twenty whites on the back of the dragon over the. Dra- <laughs> hey, twenty more whites over the. <laughs> and he's just like ferrying them back and forth. Or now here's another interesting question. Uh, because I talked about this in an episode I did a while back uh, on the ice dragon, but the ice dragon breathed cold, right? Mm-hmm. Do we have a a white dragon that still breathes fire? Could it melt through the wall? That's what I was wondering, because a lot of people are saying, now we have an ice dragon, now we have an ice dragon. But every other instance that we've seen, uh, you know, him bringing somebody or something from back from the dead, it was really just reanimated flesh. Right, and it didn't really change it except for the baby, which and there is there is some kind of a correlation between the two because he touched the baby and he also touched the dragon, whereas at hard home he just lifted his hands and the the corpses kind of just rose up. That's true, that is true, um, and I hadn't considered that at all. Yeah, so which would you prefer that it was an ice dragon or that it was a just a a, a white dragon? I, I would love an ice dragon. You know, if it breathes like cold or a blue flame or something like that. I think that would be really cool. But if, it, if it's just a reanimated dragon, then like, yeah, it's just more of the same. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Anything else? Um, uh, Give me a rating for the episode. Uh, for me, um, I'm going to probably go about a 7.5. If, if you talk to me right after... I first watched the episode, I'd have probably been more like a nine, nine and a half. Um, but uh, further consideration has brought it down for me. How about you? Uh, I said this on Twitter, but and, and I might be, I might have changed it a little bit. But I can only, I can rate this episode in two different ways. As far as implications and the, and the battle, I'll give it an eight point five out of ten. But if I had to rate it on just pure writing, it'll probably go down to a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. That sounds fair enough to me. So our whinging is over. But if you want to whinge to us about anything we said on this podcast, feel free to contact me at Musical Concepts on Twitter. Donald is at Donald JR on Twitter. Of course, follow at Winterfell Pod on Twitter. Don't forget, send your emails to podcastwinterfell at gmail.com or look at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash podcast Winterfell. And you can find the podcast at dvrpodcast.com. And don't forget our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash DVR. Did I say all that right? I think so. All right. Donald, thanks for joining <laughs> me, buddy. Have a good one. You too, man.